most startups I go to say, we have really great values, we've got, we've got a big mission, and they hire an artist, or they get a sign made, and they put it on the wall, and they're like, challenge the impossible. You know, we, that's, our, that's our model. We evaluate every employee for their ability to challenge the impossible. First of all, no one knows what the f that means. Welcome to Startup Build, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, and welcome to the fourth of seven episodes in a special series on Uniting the Prairies, or UP Conference, hosted in our home city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada in the spring of 2019. If you missed the first three episodes, check them out now, and remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes on Making Great Products, Management Insights, and Why Small Cities Are Rocking Tech. And today we're talking about building an all-star team, sharing tips from the UP Conference on how you can attract, hire, and retain the best people for your startup. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. This series is made possible by Colabs, Canada's hottest new tech incubator, and the organizers of the UP Conference. Startups are hard work. If you're lucky enough to validate your market, build a product that solves a problem, and find customers willing to pay you to solve that problem, you will begin to encounter the hardest work of all. Finding talented people to join your team and solve more hard problems along with you. You'll need developers, engineers, sales and marketing, and so much more, and battle-tested leaders to help you grow and enable these teams to thrive. The problem is, so does every other hyper-growth tech firm and startup in the world. And there are more of them than there are experienced people to work with them. Access to talent is the hardest thing growing startups face today. So how exactly do you face this challenge? Stefan Maynard, Chief Brand Officer at Bold, has a key role in growing their team and internal culture. And he outlined the problem and a few ways that they're trying to address it as they're experiencing their own growing pain. I think in the tech sector, the good news is there are a lot of jobs out there and it's a great space to be. Uh, the bad news for employer or is um, that it's tough to find talent. So our biggest challenge right now is, yeah, how are we going to find 200 people this year? How many can we find in the prairies? How long can we stick in just Winnipeg? Um, like, I know we're trying everything and anything we can. We've, we're recruiting all over the world now. So we went to Brazil and Germany last year with Van Hack right here. Shout out. Thank you. Yeah, big time. Big yeah. shout out for Van Hack. <laughs> yeah, if you guys are into that. Uh, we're looking at Paris now, a couple other trips. So we're, we're trying our best to recruit people in, but at the same time, you know, there's also a limited size pool. So uh, I think for, and I'll just extend it to like any other tech founder I've ever talked to or in the past year, their number one concern is, is finding the talent, finding enough people to keep up with the growth of not only our businesses, but the entire market. It's on fire, it's, things are happening, and I think that's always gonna be a challenge. And then there are a lot of operational issues that come with scaling too, so it kinda sounds like you're whining about growing, so I don't really wanna get into it, but, um, but it, for us, like, for a great example is like we've been in business seven years, we've already moved offices nine times. Like it, it's a stupid problem, but it is a problem. Like it takes a lot of time to constantly be looking for offices and locations and what's next and what's available. And so, yeah, it's a great problem to have, I know. Um, but it is, I think scaling and keeping up with the scale when you are successful is gonna be a challenge in the next little while. Attracting new employees is hard enough, but the best tech talent is always in high demand. 
So when they arrive at your company, they never really leave the talent pool. Your highest performers will have enticing opportunities staring them in the face on a regular basis. So it's absolutely crucial that your company is an enjoyable and most importantly, rewarding place to work. So that in their eyes, you're always their best option. Bold, like many growing startups, has invested heavily into doing just that. We invest a ton in our culture and not our people. They're our most valuable asset and I think we have very lofty, lofty goals and the only way we're going to get there is if everybody's on board and believes. Uh, we have a ton of perks, so we have beer on tap, we cater lunch for 300 people every single day, we have ping pong, massage chairs, uh, home, VR room, a whole bunch of things, we have flexible work hours, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we are also very intentional on making sure people realize those are perks and not culture, they're just a part of your culture. And what we found over time is like, if you ask them what their favorite thing is, every single person says catered lunch. I don't have to deal with lunch, I don't have to, I don't have to bring, make dinner, I don't have to worry about it, it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, but when they leave, that is never their answer. Their answer is always, like if we do an exit interview or whatever, uh, it's always about personal development. Do they, have, do they feel like they're part of the team? Do they feel like they can make a difference? Is their voice being heard? Can they work on things? Do they have uh, freedom to, to try and whatever? And that's more what the dev, young dev community wants. They want to know they're building something. They want to know that they're part of something. They, they think they want the perks, uh, which they do and they love, but it's not actually true. So we do a lot to make sure that there's a, a fine line of that, but also to an, set expectations. And like, yeah, we, we do play hard, but we have to work hard in order to play hard. So we have a lot of things. I have a great HR team, and we actually have two full-time culture specialists. So their job entirely, eight hours a day, is to make sure Bold is an awesome place to work. That's all I do. And, and, uh, and whatever that means. So yeah, employee surveys, actually finding out what people want instead of assuming and pretending and throwing things at them is valuable. Um, but really at the end of the day, yeah, like op options so they know they're working for a cause and for, you know, be a part of it. Um, those things will go a long way and just making people feel like, you know, they're part of your team, not just the resource you have that's indispensable. Company culture comes from the top. The founders have to take charge to build an intentional internal culture with your team so that everybody is unified around a central set of goals and is personally invested in the vision of the company. Though, you can't take an authoritarian approach to setting your company culture. The people on your team are all unique individual human beings. And as your company grows, you need to keep an open dialogue with them to help orient how you continue to build and adapt your culture. Tiffany Kaminsky and her team at Simend did just that. And they came to a surprising but valuable conclusion on their company culture. Um, we actually just went through and we surveyed everyone on our team to see, here's the culture we have today, here's what we want to build, what do you guys think? And we looked at what are all the things that you value in terms of what we offer you as an employer? Is it the competitive salaries? We offer everyone stock options. We're really, really adamant that we want everyone to have a piece of ownership in our company. Is it, you know, we've just upgraded our benefits? What are the different pieces that really drive us forward? And the answer we got back from our team was Beer Fridays. Beer Clock Fridays was the number one thing they liked about our culture, I kid you not. Um, and it's really become a part of something that brings our team together, as silly as it sounds, is every Friday at three or four o'clock, we go down, we've got you know, craft beer downstairs, we pick some up, we bring them up, and we've got virtual reality, we've got beanbag toss, we've got life-size Jenga, and a bunch of stuff in the office, and people just bring their families or their spouses or friends over, and you get a lot of time outside of just the day-to-day -day of working with one another, and it's very unique because we have a very, very diverse team, is people actually want to hang out together. 
which has been pretty incredible to see. And it's just been the small things like that that we found have made a really, really big impact in terms of the culture of our team. Speaking of internal events for your team, nobody is better at throwing events than Picatech, one of Canada's largest event tech companies. And then they were acquired by one of the world's largest event tech companies in Eventbrite. So this next chapter of growth and building their internal culture is still being discovered as Picatech co-founder and CEO and now site manager at Eventbrite Canada describes, and we're willing to bet that they'll knock it out of the park. Okay, so we we invest a lot on culture, um, and so a lot a lot of it is is a lot of it. It's it's a, we're an events company. We do a lot of events, and we do internal events, and we continue to make sure that we have human connection, uh, and that's that's kind of what we do um, for our company. But I mean. Uh, it's a little bit unique because now we're in a thousand person organization. Uh, but yeah, so I, that, that part I'm just learning uh, how, how we're going to maintain it. So that, that's one of my challenges in 2019. Simend and Picatick found immense value into reaching out to their team and finding out what was working and what wasn't. So when and how often should you be doing this as founders? Kevin Kimza, general partner at Scale Up Ventures, argues that you should be doing this as much as possible to ensure that everybody is on the same page moving forward in the same direction. It can be intimidating as founders to take valuable time away from your team to do so. But if you make alignment an ongoing commitment in your company, you can save your company days and weeks in productivity by making sure your vision is clear and understood. I think, you know, if I'm looking at, at I'll say, internal feedback in terms of how you're doing, and, you know, we heard today earlier about town halls, about, about um, you know, the frequency of, of, of getting together um, and, and understanding you know, what's working, what's not. So it's not so much external I'm referring to, but um, I think it's got to be at a frequency that, that simply makes sense. I talked earlier about actually having weekly meetings where you're reforecasting every single week. That's, that's weekly feedback yeah. on what's going to happen in the future. That's a frequency that kind of scares a lot of think, uh, individuals thinking, how could I possibly spend enough, enough time to do it? Um, and so I, I think the frequency of feedback has to be sort of in harmony with actually whatever business you're in. Um, I won't reflect on the external side, but maybe these folks can take a handle on yeah. that. But I think internally, you've got to get that, that, that cadence around making sure that actually everybody's on the same page, the narrative remains the same, and there's consistency. To kick off the second day of UP, they hosted a panel on culture and talent, tackling some of the toughest issues on the topic with Michael Skizens and Andrew Arruda. Michael Skizens is a multi-time entrepreneur, former entrepreneur in residence with Anheuser-Busch, and is now currently growing his new startup, a recruitment platform called CareerList. Startups are a minefield, so Michael kicked off the panel by wearing his battle scars proudly and sharing with the crowd the lessons he's learned over the years that drive the decisions he makes today. I, I think from a culture perspective, you know, a few of the, the, the major screw-ups and that, or the mistakes that I made, um, were one, kind of stopping making the cultural hires myself. So when we, you know, when we got bigger, I relinquished more hiring control. Um, which at a 100, 200, 300 person company, I would never do again. You know, make, making sure that I'm still meeting every person. Um, I hired managers to do that. What was the size where that kind of happened? It was like 100, kind of around 100, 80 to 100 it started to, to happen. And people started to come in for, um, you know, for the wrong reasons. I think the second biggest mistake that I, um, I made from a cultural perspective not everyone may agree with me on this, but I started to value experience over culture. So I would hire someone because they were older than me or more impressive or had held a head of sales job at a prestigious company for a year or two or were from New York or from like some yeah. 
some stupid reason um, that you know I thought I should be impressed by them. In every situation, they ended up getting fired. Um, and in every situation, they ended up hiring a bunch of people that shouldn't have got hired that caused a lot of problems. Um, and you know, I think I, I tend to focus more now a lot more on you know culture and attitude. And culture really begins at the point of hiring. If you're not taking a culture first of fact of who you're looking for and who you're hiring, I think you're behind. So those are my two biggest, my probably two biggest mistakes. Throughout this episode, there's been a lot of talk about culture and vision and setting lofty ambitions. Being the seasoned entrepreneur that he is, Michael Skizens knows exactly how to see through the smokescreen of trendy Silicon Valley hype speak, and he warns founders of the dangers of attaching yourself to grandiose language with no real substance behind it, and how to build true meaning within your company. Most startups I go to say, we have really great values, we've got, we've got a big mission, and they hire an artist, or they get a sign made, and they put it on the wall, and they're like, challenge the impossible. You know, we, that's, our, that's our model. We evaluate every employee for their ability to challenge the impossible. First of all, no one knows what the f that means. Um, like, nobody. Um, but where I think I've found the application is, is, is works, I don't think it matters whether you're a 10-person company or a 100-person company, but if you take a look at the early team and you decide what's important to you, and what the culture you want to have in the, in the company, maybe not just from like challenge the impossible, but from a skill set perspective, you know, what kind of working style do you want? How do you want the company to value, how do you want people to value thinking about work? Do you want people that are in it to make money? Do you want people that are in it you know, primarily because of the motivation and belief in you? What are the values you want in the people? And we have a list of, of 10 things that we care about, you know, from what kind of management systems we have to um, what we value to how we work together. And our interview questions are actually all built around that. So when we're looking and talking to about a candidate that has been through a panel or been through one of our internal interview groups, we're talking about the, the, per, the person having the right experience is secondary. The first experience is how are they going to match up to the scorecard is around the culture. And that basically informs whether or not we're going to hire them. Because I would rather hire somebody who is slightly less of a specialist but a cultural fit 10, 10 out of 10 times. From his multiple founder experiences and working within the world's largest beer company, Michael has learned tons of practical lessons on how to operationalize culture and build teams. So he closed the panel by imparting the takeaways he had on how early founders can do the same. Rituals. Um, so we do a quarterly fun event. Last uh, we did curling in New Jersey was the last one. Took a bunch of New Yorkers curling. Um, it was fun. But for me, the rituals come down to systems. And I, I think the most important thing that you have is the systems that you put into your company. So dream. You have a big dream um, and a clear dream that everybody shares. Um, but it's the systems that make that possible. So the systems of how I do it is I will define our goals for the year. Our goals for the year are really financial, they're trackable goals. I will then define programs on a quarterly basis that the whole company agree, that basically is aligned to and agrees to. And on a weekly basis, we will review the team's progress against those goals. For me, that works well. Um, don't underestimate the importance of management systems from day one. Uh, if you don't have you know, your dream, your metrics, and your, your system and your goals defined, it's going to be really hard to build a culture. Um, you're, they're going to be really wrong in the beginning, and they're just going to find they keep getting more and more right, and you'll change less and less. 
but finding that routine I think is important to both build a culture and build a successful, financially successful company. Andrew Arruda is a former lawyer who is now the co-founder and CEO at one of the fastest growing AI companies in North America, legal tech company Ross Intelligence. Andrew has picked up his own set of learnings when growing his team rapidly and shared how capital injections can influence the decision-making process in ways that can harm the company in the long term. You're not going to hire people to solve the problems that you yourself as a founder haven't really figured out yet. Uh, and I think that sometimes the, the, your gut is, I raised a little bit of money, I can hire now, I can afford to hire. It doesn't mean you should hire. You really want to make sure that you're getting things right and you feel the stress and you as a founder or your founding team has tried different things so that when you do make that hire, you can have an informed conversation with them about what you want them to do, what you don't want them to do. Uh, otherwise, you're kind of giving someone uh, an impossible mission. You're like, hey, this is my baby. Um, I don't really know how to raise it. Can you do it? I'm going to be like an absentee parent, and you don't want to do that. Uh, I think at that time, we wanted to get uh, the right people still. I, didn't, I never really wanted, I always told myself to not hire over hire, but even hiring one or two or three or four people at the wrong time a bit too early in a particular area, what ends up happening is as a founder, you're then, you're trying to figure out and manage them and trying to give them problems for them to solve because you're trying to actually figure out what's going on with the product itself. And so you'd be surprised at how even you know one or two or three hires at the wrong time ends up really screwing things up organizationally. Um, and so we didn't necessarily go big at that time. After our Series A, we started to hire some folks with you know, really kind of impressive uh, backgrounds. Um, and then at that point, I think some has, have certainly worked out and some didn't just in terms of me being a little starstruck and me thinking to myself, wow, like this is gonna solve all my problems. Uh, but that's not what happens as we've kind of mentioned. So I think um, that whole uh, YC, the network was fabulous. Um, and I think uh, raising that money certainly did help. And it's all I really know because I haven't done this any other way. So um, maybe in like, you know, my third venture, I'll be up here and be able to, to offer more insights if that was the right decision or not. But right now, hoping it is. One of Andrew's other key learnings was how he tackled the hardest problem in tech, attracting the best talent to their team. They approached this by clearly defining and communicating what made the Ross Intelligence employee experience different and more exciting than the other tech giants. Um, having this kind of big, lofty, ambitious, clearly defined goal um, has also attracted engineers who want to do that because, you know, ultimately you can go to a Google, you can go to an Uber, you can go to an Amazon, you can go to a Microsoft, uh, but, you know, what are, uh, we, we find ourselves really on the bleeding edge of things and so keeping that exciting and keeping us, you know, our advantage as a young upstart company is that we move fast, um, we can outmaneuver giants and just keeping that as part of, uh, you know, in the hiring process and making sure that any applicant sees that. Andrew has gone through his own struggles and growing pains, learning the tough lessons about team and culture along the way. At one point, Andrew and his team noticed some cracks that were starting to develop and how engaged their employees were in the company. What he did, and what many founders can learn from, is he made the hard move to do a personal gut check on the situation, take responsibility for the problem, how he as a founder had a role in being the cause, and also the solution. Yeah, so I think ultimately, um it happens uh, by, you know, um, employees not necessarily in your one-on-ones aren't necessarily um, uh, as talkative. They're kind of not sharing uh, everything that's going on. And I think ultimately it flows directly from the founders. And so what I ended up starting to realize is all my bad habits were actually being mirrored by my employees. And if I didn't fix myself, then 
I, I would, it, was, it was really ultimately my fault. And so I ended up getting a, a great coach and putting out surveys to the team and saying, hey, where can I improve and really leading by example. And then it was pretty neat. What I started to see is everyone started to rally behind that. And I think ultimately, instead of just getting upset about, hey, we need to do more. And I don't know why there's such you know, miscommunications and stuff. It's ultimately, it lands on you as the founder and the founding team. So um, that's kind of how we fixed it. And, um, we, we also run into a, a bit of a problem where we have uh, San Francisco and Toronto office, so large feedback loops. But if you have that strong culture and you build that, I, you, you can end up building something really strong and, and it working out. In the end, culture begins and ends with the founders. So we'll end this episode with this. Andrew closed the panel by emphasizing that there's a lot of personal responsibility that founders inevitably take on. He encouraged founders to be open and honest with yourself throughout the whole process. And the only way a startup can succeed is with founders who know their company and themselves inside and out. And I think ultimately, if I were to leave everyone with a parting thought, it would be ultimately um, culture really flows from you. And so if you're thinking, you know, why is that person acting or behaving that way? Most likely, if you hold up a mirror, you're going to see... Um, that, that bad attribute and what you're complaining about in yourself. And so make sure that the first step is really ensuring that you clean that up, you, you lead um, as a leader that's humble, that is able to say when they don't know something. And, um, and I think there's a lot of pressure early on because when you're raising based off of your idea and team, you always have to like tell investors, I get it, I'm this big deal. And it, it, you almost have to do that. But then it's hard to turn that off when you actually start you know, actually working with your employees. So your outward projection um, is one thing. And then even with your investors, like make sure that you are transparent with them and you make sure that you inform them of everything that's going on early on. And that culture doesn't stop with your team. It continues through in all of your relationships. And I think the last thing I'll say is don't ever forget about yourself in the process. Um, you ultimately start writing checks against yourself, uh, your health, your mental health um, throughout the process early on and you can kind of lose yourself. And so um, I think that that's really important and don't underestimate that. And it's okay to, to feel like you need to take a break and, and to unplug. And those were things at the beginning, I was like, I'm gonna be a superhero. I'm never gonna, I don't need very much sleep, you know, like, like hustle and all that. And then I, I, I ended up getting pretty burnt out. So um, just keep in mind that what we're doing is really, really hard. It's really cool to be part of startup culture right now. It's hip, it's, you know, part of, you know, what people wanna do, but it's, it's a job, it's hard work, and, you're, and people are going to work for you, and you owe them a responsibility of being a really good leader and, and leading by example. So it's a lot of responsibility, and uh, make sure that you're ready for that early on because you're, there's going to be a lot asked of you throughout the process. Startup Bill is brought to you by Innovation Place helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at wetellyourstories.ca. This series is made possible by Colabs, Canada's hottest new tech incubator, and the organizers of the UP Conference. Our show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Startupville Pod. See you next time on Startup Bill.